Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Music of Life Church podcast. We are going to discuss the tulip episode, the five points of Calvinism verses. If you haven't heard it, please give it a listen. We're going to help you understand how to interact with a person who holds the man-made traditional views of what we covered in the What the Flock episode. I'm Jonathan Fries here with Joel Swakowski. Hey, Joel, can you remind us of the verses for this episode? Yeah, I'd love to. First, just a quick review of the five points of Calvinism. It's T, total depravity, U, unconditional election, L, limited atonement, I, irresistible grace, and P, the preservation of the saints. We did 10 verses in the What the Flock episode. Two per point. So I'll go through each of them now. So for total depravity, which meant man is completely sinful, Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Romans 3, 9 through 12 has, I'll just summarize this. It has at verse 10, it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. 11 says, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And 12 ends with, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Mm-hmm. The unconditional election point was God choosing ahead of time who he would elect as believers. John 15, 16 starts with, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And Ephesians 1, 5 begins with, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. L, limited atonement, meant Jesus' death provided salvation for the elect only. That's where it was limited. We saw Romans 9.13 said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, in an effort to say, see, he only atoned for some people and some he didn't. John 10.11 ends with the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And there is this idea of adding the word only, right? The good shepherd giveth his life only for the sheep. Mm. I, irresistible grace, meaning the elect that were chosen cannot resist God's will to save them. We saw John 6, 37 through 39, that all that the father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And it continues. But there, there's the point there is him that cometh, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And then Psalm 110, verse 3, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, meaning they can't resist it. And then P, preservation of the saints. This is the once saved, always saved point. We saw John chapter 10, 28 and 29. In both of these verses, we see, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Regarding Jesus's hand, regarding God the Father's hand. And then 1 John two nineteen, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not, not all of us. So we we spent the long the longest episode we've recorded thus far to go through all ten of these verses or even 
passages, like sections of verses mm-hmm. in order to, to really interpret these verses accurately. And that's really what we did. If you think about it, what we're doing when we use these five steps is they're helping us interpret the causes. They're helping us interpret the verses the right way. The effect is contradictions are exposed. So we're not like necessarily attacking a belief system just for the sake of attacking a belief system. When you understand God's word in the way he intended, the effect is things that are opposed to God's word become exposed. But we have seen so much damage happen in the church because of the Calvinistic doctrine that that's why we spent so much time in an entire episode covering like this is the one-stop shop for like anything you want to know as far as like your issues or concerns about the doctrine of the church today and the Calvinistic Bingo. worldview. So. Bingo. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking too, is that we got people that are walking away from the church going, God makes no sense yeah. or God is sending people to hell, you know? And they're like, and then when they are, when they ask questions it doesn't make sense. It's their contradictions are stacking up against each other. Yeah. And these seem to be the loudest voices in the church today are often people with a Calvinistic perspective and they're just, it's just doing so much damage, this belief system. And all we did, it was just, it was amazing going through this episode Because time and time again, when we just looked at the context of the verse, contradictions were exposed in that belief system within the context of that verse. It was like, whatever whatever this person was using to support a Calvinistic perspective, the opposite was shown in the verse itself, which was so so amazing. Yep. Yeah, that's where... You know, so that that's if we had started reading the Bible the right way, Calvinism never would have existed. Right. But what we do is we take a belief system from outside the Bible and we put it onto the Bible. Yeah. And we try to make sense of the belief system we've had already. And I get it. It's like, and this is, it is the, the primary, the, the primary system of belief that has doing the most doctrinal damage in the church today. So much of everything we've covered in six seasons stems from these five points in some fashion. And it's it's because people are taking a belief system, you know, where I think it really there's this emotional aspect to Calvinism. And that's where I when you say they're the loudest, it's not just the most quantitatively, but also emotionally loud, where it's like if you say God, like it's kind of Apostle Tater's point. If you say God's anything less than these five points, I don't know what God you're serving. Right. God is. No, like God doesn't make sense because he's so big. Emotional. Mm -hmm. No, we're sinners. That's why we need God. So emotional. Right. We can't resist his grace. He's too powerful. 
emotional. Right. All these points have some level of emotion behind them where it's supposed to help us feel really exhorted about how big God is. But we've made them so big, emphasis on we have made them so big, that he's contradictory. And contradictory. The, God, the God that is represented in a lot of the church, especially in America, is not the God that's represented in the Bible. Right. Going back to the godless Christianity movement. Right. Where yep. we can't we can't explain who God is. So what all we're left with is emotion. Yeah. All we're left with is a feeling yep. about God. So we don't go anywhere deeper than the what level. Right. You say if you say God and I'm saying God, then that's 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 agreement enough. We so, don't agree at the doctrinal level, we agree at the what. Right. So I'm trying to prove this thing to you about God. And it's the same thing as if you and I were having a conversation and I were to say to you, you know, Joel, I've heard so many people say being racist is amazing. But I completely disagree with that point. And all this person does is hear you and I talking and go, I heard Jonathan say that being racist is amazing. Oh, I know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because why? They're, they they want to trash me. Right. They have so, some belief outside of it that they put on to what you said. So we would look at that and we would go, wow, how criminal. Yeah, wow, that would. person, that person really has an agenda against Jonathan. Because he literally said the opposite. Right. He literally said, I've heard people say this. And then he said what other people said. And I said, I finished by saying, and that's so wrong. Yep. And it's, and it's like, wait, yep. wait a minute. What are these people trying to do with God? They're trying to turn God into a man. Yeah, and then we're slandering him. Right, and they're slandering him. Why? Why do they want God to be a man? So that they can be God. Yeah, oh yeah. So we can justify ourselves. I justify myself, yeah. and that's what, this, that's what this whole episode did, is just go, wow. And the way that the episode wrapped up in the ultimate answer was amazing, because it's essentially, we presented our worldview to the world. You know, yeah. this is what we believe about God and the Bible and everything. And this is how we're kind of, we're able to answer all of these questions. It's because we start from this worldview and we're trying to justify God and say that, yeah. say that we are not him. So therefore we are wrong and we are unjust. And that's where, so again, to go up, what our strategy here is, is like one, we, we've dealt with, you and me have dealt with people claiming either us or what we believe is heresy. And we've often said, and, and recently have said, if you claim something is heretical, you need to be able to point out what the right or what, what's heretical, why it's heretical and what the right answer is according to God's doctrine. What we did here today is one, I didn't claim Calvinism is heretical, although I'll do it now and say it is. Now, Key point, one of the things that you and I were very careful in today is we didn't talk about any Calvinist Calvinist person. Mm -mm. We talked about a belief system, right? So we're not slandering any person. We're not even slandering a belief system. We're just discussing it and exposing contradictions in it. But what we did that I don't see anyone else do is we also, we were able to show you what was wrong why it was wrong, meaning that's when we exposed the contradiction, we explained why it was wrong. And then the ultimate answer was what 
gave the right answer in the place of the wrong. And now the key to this, though, was we had the ultimate answer before recording this episode Hmm. and before preparing this episode. I didn't start my journey of understanding who God is by going against the Calvinistic doctrine. I started with trying to find the right answers, the truthful answers, the doctrinally sound without contradiction answers. And what, when you have that, and when you aren't afraid of being wrong, you invite scrutiny in, you invite people to expose contradictions. And when you have the right answer, anything that's contradictory to that right answer, it's it starts becoming easy to easy to expose. And that's really what we did today was a or what we did in the what the flock episode was just this long journey of going through a bunch of things we've learned over the years about how this really prevalent belief system in the church today just doesn't make sense. Why it why it's hurting so many people, why it's leaving people feeling disenfranchised with the church and can, and more confused about God than ever. Right. Now you notice our ultimate answer, Jonathan, mm-hmm. what did it take me like two minutes to read that? It was super, super simple. The more you have to talk, <laughs> the more opportunity for contradictions. Okay, so that's why there was so much talking in this episode is because we were undoing a whole lot of stuff. We yeah, were, we yeah. were we had we had five different belief systems that we were undoing, and that's what times took two, so, times right? two, yeah, because yeah, we so did long. two verses under each of the points. Yeah, yeah. So you could argue it's really what we did in the what the flock episode was ten episodes in one. Yeah. But it is, it's like, so the, the ultimate answer, because it's without contradiction. Oh man, you're, is you're right. Simple. It's it is. simple. It is. And it's settling. And I don't have to be emotional about it. Yeah. But I want to be because I'm excited about it, but I don't have to force emotion onto other people with it. The emotion doesn't have to be part of the argument. Where with these five points of Calvinism, I feel like the emotion needs to be part of the argument in an effort to try to convince people of these contradictory doctrine. Absolutely. Because it, I, if I have lived my life emotionally ramping myself up and had to accumulate that lifetime's worth of information that we taught to be able to prove my point and you're going to give me something that's so simple and so easy to understand that is that is devastating that's yeah that could be really infuriating and that Uh, who do you think you are i know you just (laughs) undid it and you gave an ultimate answer yeah and it it if i think if i held that belief system i can understand how they would only, they could seemingly only respond by being more emotional. Yeah. Because you've spent your whole life responding to all of these things by emotion and by essentially being aggressive, accumulating more what's that prove your point only to be undone by a simple definition. Yeah. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, to God's that, which is God's. Uh, <laughs> that was not the answer I was expecting. No, that was, that is way too simple. Yeah. Oh, that really ticks uh, me off. You without sin? Oh, come on. Uh, no. No, I wanted to get into a big, massive debate yeah. with you. <laughs> I'm trying to distract myself. Yeah. And ultimately myself, because I am so unsettled. Yeah. And you know what? It could all just start with, I am wrong. Yes. Yep. It could, that's where, that's where it could start. And that's one of the most settling things to say when it's in response to having done something wrong. People are so afraid of it though. I get it. I understand. I always say it's better to be, it's better to be wrong than unsettled. Yeah. No kidding. Because you just don't know this gray off feeling that that you that you live your life with yeah it feels i feel so sorry for people like that so let's keep going joel can you give us an overview of the damage done with this episode's verse yeah i'm just gonna nab what you said from the what the flock episode very simply we see the strict side does not understand free will and causality and the loose side doesn't understand truth and non-contradiction. Well, let's jump into the real reason why we're here. How would you handle a person who holds to the man-made beliefs about these verses? Well, let's take a look. It depends on what they believe about these five points of Calvinism or Calvinism as a whole. Uh, we're going to go more towards the five, like, what do they believe about the five points as a whole? Cool. Here's some popular options, and we'll start with number one, with the, the perspective Apostle Tater shared, and then we'll go into the perspective Pastor Rich shared. So Apostle Tater shared the perspective of y'all, God is sovereign, and to say anything less is blasphemy. Of course, God predestined everything. He wouldn't be God if he didn't. This is great because this is like that emotional the emotion behind it's just as important as the words, if not more, because the words don't make sense. Now, what I want to do here, what I would do is ask the person, you know, you say, of course, God predestined everything. He wouldn't be God if he didn't. So we did a, we did a episode. We talked about Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And we saw that this is really an ability for God to make something we screw up into something that's good. Maybe not as good as it would have originally been, but even something we screw up can become good. If God can make a bad situation good, then God did not predestinate everything. Oh, cool. Otherwise, why is he able to adjust after the fact? So I'd use a Bible verse to say this, like it really, it's like, it doesn't make sense how we can make a bad situation good. Because then he actually either meant it to be that way the whole time, but that there's a contradiction there. Right. Can you explain to me, strict side believer, why is he able to adjust after the fact? Yeah. For, and again, I we just can go back to John 3, 16. Why did Jesus need to come? Yeah. 
Right. Why? Like he could he could have made if it. he's sovereign. Why did Jesus yeah. have to die? Such a right. horrible death. It's like now starting to see God as this wrathful, you know, masochist. It's exactly. like nasty. And then, you know, uh, Tater's perspective also brought in the word sovereign, which what we can do here. And then also with predestined, we can just simply ask like we like to do is what's the definition of those words? What do you mean by those? It's always a great place to start. If they use a big keyword like that, mm. ask them what they mean. Nice. If they refuse to answer, then that's kind of proof that they don't really want a, a civil discourse with you. And they're just trying to prove some point. Number two is the pastor rich. He said, Calvinism and Arminianism are two sides of the same coin. Both are true. They might look like they're opposites, like parallel rails, but they eventually meet and agree in eternity. And since we're not God, we really can't know how this works. Isn't that beautiful? Right? Yeah. Here, some of these, you're going to, you're going to recognize the responses. And a lot of the times it's because the strategy that people are using to distract you from the ultimate answer are coming from the same place as it relates to thought process. And similarly, the strategy that me and you use, Jonathan, as it relates to how to respond to these people are also according to a thought process. That's why there's these patterns of questions that we tend to ask. So for instance, if, if somebody is just basically going to say, we can't really know, we can't really know. That's basically the, the rich perspective that he mm. shared with us was, we can't really know. We're not meant to know. Both are true. Neither are true. Blah, blah, blah. Then here it's just like, well, do you teach anything? <laughs> How do you know if you're serving the, the true God then? Mm. How do you know? Like, that's a great question to ask. Like, how do you know you're worshiping the right God if you can't know who he is or how he works or. Right. Now here's one that we, we touched on. I don't believe all the five points, just a few of them. I had an interaction with a pastor who spent an entire series at his church preaching against Calvinism. And then when him and I started meeting and had, had a few conversations and they got more and more doctrinal. We are starting to read books together and the conversations got very scholarly. At one point he, he argued for preservation of the saints. Once saved, always saved. And I said, you're a Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Like, Wait a minute. You're a Calvin. He's like, no, no, no. I believe in that one. Or some of them. All right, so it's the same. I don't believe all the five points, just a few of them. That can go both ways. It could go either somebody who claims to be a Calvinist, just not a five-point Calvinist. Or it could be somebody who claims I'm not a Calvinist, but I do believe a couple of them. Either way, the point here is, are you trying to make more sense or less sense of this belief system? What's your measure for which of the five points you believe and which ones you don't? Or how about even this? Does having more contradictions in your belief system make you more right or less right? So eventually remember what they're trying to do is cover for the flaws in their belief and picking and choosing beliefs. At this point, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm concerned this person has no objective measure for what they, what they believe to be true. It's based mostly on how they feel. How they feel. It is. Here's one that we touched on too. 
that you brought up. This is great. You and I have dealt with this and we just talked about it earlier, just, just a few minutes ago. It's this idea of, oh, you bring in this, this answer, this ultimate answer that's simple and powerful and settling and something I've never heard before. Yep. And it makes me feel like I should have known that. And I feel wrong. Mm -hmm. So what I can do is, Jonathan, you think you know everything. Attack. Yeah. Attack. You're arrogant. We've heard that. Mm -hmm. It's along the same line. You're arrogant. You're not humble. You're stubborn. You're immovable. Mm -hmm. You think you know everything. Mm -hmm. That is a very often perspective that we've seen when somebody has a right or truthful answer because it makes me uncomfortable with what I believe I project onto you that you're the jerk, right? That you think, you know, everything. No. So a response, here's what, when you get, when somebody is just blatantly states, Oh, a statement on you like this, this is a little different than some of the, some of the uh, examples we use in, in all of our seasons, really. We, we didn't necessarily go a lot into just, this is just an outright attack, right? It is. Yep. At this point, I don't really need to do anything except just say, I'm sorry you feel that way. I love this. I'm so glad that we're covering this because this goes back to a lot of the people that we've encountered. We we say that they are narcissists, that their feelings about you, again, we're back at feelings, but their feelings about you are reality. Mm-hmm. It's another version of because I said so, meaning if you if I say you are arrogant, you are arrogant. Right. If I say that you know everything or you think you know everything, that is me stating that for a fact you do think that yeah. because I said so. And that yeah. is purely narcissistic. So the I'm sorry you feel that way is the basically the deflection of any sort of attack or narcissistic attack on you right to try to, to, try to get you no i Go don't and yeah exactly yeah and, and, and what it does is it stops them in their tracks if they truly are narcissistic it stops in their, them in their tracks because what you're saying i'm sorry you feel that way can't be refuted by a narcissist <laughs> It's like, no, I'm I'm sorry about how you feel. Mm-hmm. Isn't let's that what you want me to do? Yeah, let's talk about how your can feelings. you be mad at me for that? But you'd be surprised how either one, it'll either slow the narcissist down, or sometimes it makes them even more mad. And but but it's the right response, and it does slow down an attack because you're being attacked when they say you think you know everything. That is a judgment and a statement being put directly on you, unfounded, yep, inaccurate. Now, another way to handle this, this would be a backup for me. I'd prefer to just say, I'm sorry you feel that way to the person and leave it at that. But another option is just even asking for clarity. Are you saying that because I have an explanation to something that you may have never heard, that that means I think I know everything? Or even just saying, what makes you think that I think I know everything? Yeah. You keep it simple. And then finally, number five, here's another one that we touched on. You can't put God in a box. So again, this is a statement on you. Yep. 
this is a, a bad, bad cause being thrown at you. So we'd be careful. You could even, you could start this one again. I'm sorry you feel that way. But here it's like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean, like, what do you mean you can't put God in a box? Do you mean I can't limit God? Because again, that's a big part of what this Calvinistic belief system is trying to do is how can we create the biggest God that exists? Because the biggest, most unlimited God would be God. And unfortunately, what we do is we project what we really want onto that being, right? Totally. We want to be omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. So at this one, you can't put God in a box. You can even say, well, what is your definition of God? And here, if they if they give you anything, if they give you any answer, love. Well, isn't that putting God in a love box? Now, a lot of times what you'd what you'd hear, what is your definition of God? Somebody who says you can't put God in a box is often going to say in response to you asking, what's your definition of God is, well, that's the point you can't define God. And at that point, then it's, well, then how can you be sure you're worshiping the right God? Right. Now, another, another way to go about this is, is you can't put God in a box. I could say, well, what about the verses that say we can hinder or frustrate God's grace? Doesn't that mean we're kind of hindering or boxing out God? Or ultimately, in this one, I don't know if I would say this one to the person, but I guess I just kind of wanted to commentate this for our listener. Every one of us puts God in a box. The, the way we understand who God is, is the box we put him in. The benefit of understanding who God is in his nature and how he works in his will in a non-contradictory fashion is how we can ensure that the, the quote box that God, it, God is in is the one he in reality operates according to. So you could say, well, God is in a box of righteousness and justice. How is God limited? Right. That's what that box means. How is That's he limited? Yeah. He's yeah. limited by righteousness and justice. Right. Yeah. That's a great way of asking. Yeah. What, what, what's your definition of box? A limitation. Yeah. Right. A limitation. And then you, you get to the definition, right? Yeah. It's impossible for yeah. God to lie. Kind of sounds like a limitation. It does. It does. Okay. Joel, can you remind us once more what the ultimate answer is? Yes, I can. Calvinism is a contradictory worldview that attempts to put humanity's responsibility on God. Each of the five points of Calvinism contradicts God's word, God himself, and the salvation process. In fact, the verses used to support one point end up contradicting at least one of the other four points of Calvinism. Now, each of the five points attempts to cover the flaws of the other four. And as good as an attempt, we've seen that attempt has failed. Oh, we're totally depraved? It's okay. God elects those regardless of depravity. Unconditional election? Didn't Jesus die for everyone? No, just a limited amount. Limited atonement? What if it's not enough? It will be because you can't resist it anyways. Irresistible grace? What if I don't want it? Then you were never saved to begin with. 
That's the the quote logical progression of these five points. Quote sarcastic quote. Right. Not very logical. You're speaking in the manner of men. Yeah. (laughs) I speak in the manner of men. (laughs) Thank you. Oh man. That is great. We need to use we need to use that. Yeah. I speak in the manner of men. Oh okay. I speak in the manner of men. Oh, man. That's so good. So furthermore, that we saw the five points result in a God that is not right nor just, a God that sends people to eternal torment regardless of what their intentions were. And people realize this, so they will say they're less than five-point Calvinists, but that actually result, results in them being more wrong. So like, if you're going to be a five-point Calvinist, go all out, right? Yeah. Being a five-point Calvinist results in one main wrong point, Calvinism as a whole. Being anything less than all five results in more than one wrong point. And we saw an example of being less than a five-point comes from the enablers who don't want tension, who don't want conflict, who don't want to fight. So what they do is they agree with Calvinism, but then they'll say, hey, Jonathan, just between you and me, God's actually going to choose everyone to eventually go to heaven. We know the only non-contradictory answer is that God is always completely right and always completely just. God is resting, and we know that means he is ceasing from the occupation of being the first cause, and God only moves in response to justice. God is the cause of and gets the credit for our salvation. Man is responsible for their salvation. And Jesus provided infinite value, unlimited atonement for the redemption of sins due to being unjustly killed for righteousness sake after having never sinned. It's a pretty sparkly, squeaky clean worldview. Yeah, that felt good reading it. Yeah, buddy. Okay, so I want to read the verses according to what we've learned today. And there are several. Yes, there are. And this is according to God's language. This is according to the doctrine of these verses. Remember, English, Latin, Hebrew, you know, all of these things. These are a context. So when we are speaking according to God's language, we are speaking at the doctrine level. So here's how these verses would read if we were to translate them into the doctrine that is already there. Starting with total depravity, the T in our tulip. Romans 8, 7, because the fleshly slash animal nature is at enmity against God, for it is subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. How about that? Romans 3, 9 through 12. Well, then, are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous enough to save themselves. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God enough to save themselves. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good enough to save himself. No, not one. 
Nice. Right? There we go. Love Enough it. to save yeah. himself. You, unconditional election, John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you in response to your obedience. Mm. And ordained you in response to you following my commands. That you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Beautiful. Ephesians 1.5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, it is still our choice to receive that adoption provided through Jesus Christ. Boom. Limited atonement. Romans 9.13. As it is written... Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I loved less. Mm. I have loved them both. Yeah. <laughs> John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. It is up to you if you are one of the good shepherd's sheep. Mm. The good shepherd paid the price for anyone to become his sheep. Nice. Unlimited atonement. <laughs> Unlimited. Yeah. Irresistible grace. Responsible grace. Yeah. <laughs> John 6, 37 through 39. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Yet it is the choice of those who come to me to cast themselves out if they so choose. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the father's will, which hath sent me that of all, which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Psalms 110.3. Thy people shall willingly choose in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. Responsible grace. That's it. <laughs> Preservation of the saints. John 10, 28 through 29. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man apart from themselves, apart from themselves, pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man apart from themselves is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not believers. For if they had been believers, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Wonderful. That's great. Yes. Whew. What a journey. What a journey. Congratulations. Hey, congratulations to you, Joel. Thank you so much for that amazing teaching. This is definitely going to be it's so much fun. What yeah, a great dude. season. What an incredible season. It's yeah. definitely one that I will need to listen to over yes. again. Oh, yeah. So thank you to everyone who's listening. Hey, this has been the Music of Life Church podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know. We'll see you next time.